Well, good morning and welcome to St. Paul's. Whether you're here in the room or if you're joining with us online, it's good to have you with us. So, do not murder. I'm sorry that there are no jokes, no stories to start us off this morning because of all the Ten Commandments, I'm sure that this is probably the most obvious one. If you know any of them, this is the one that you would give as your default answer. So we're all off the hook, right? Well, no, of course not. We are continuing in our summer preaching series on the Ten Commandments, where these Ten Commandments were the first instructions given to the nation of Israel by God. And Israel had just been rescued out of Egypt from slavery, and their leader Moses brings them to this pit stop, this layover at Mount Sinai in the desert, and God gives them this set of instructions, these rules for living. And we all have this love-hate relationship with rules. Maybe you're the obedient eldest child. (laughs) Maybe you're the rebellious middle child who broke all the rules, or if you are the youngest, you had all those rules broken way ahead of you. Guess which one I am. We don't want to be told what to do, but we still want to know what is that right thing to do. And so the same thing goes if you are cynical about the church and its history of forcing rules. Or maybe you've been a long-time Christian and you're still thinking about those Ten Commandments you memorized as a child. So throughout this entire series, throughout as we talk about these Ten Commandments, we're talking about these Ten Commandments as ten words that give life. They point to something larger, something more. And these 10 words open up for us the abundant life that Jesus promises to all his followers. So if you're new or you're visiting with us, and maybe you've been away traveling, here's a quick recap for us. The first four commandments can be roughly grouped together as commandments on how to love God. Do not have other gods before me. Make no, other, make no false images. Do not take God's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath holy. If you want to go back, you can find us on YouTube, and a plug here for our new sermon podcast, you can find that there too. And this last set of commandments are also roughly grouped into love neighbor, and it's how God gives us these instructions to live together. And last week, Jenny talked about honoring your father and honoring your mother. It's the only commandment with a promise. And today, do not murder. Each week, we've been asking these same questions in some form or another, where we ask these questions to deepen our understanding, whether we're reading and studying individually or we're reading and studying with others together. What is this commandment in its original context? How does Jesus fulfill it, and what does it look like in our lives today? And so we're going to do that same thing today. We're going to look at the minimum of this commandment, the minimum of this commandment, and then we're going to explore how Jesus fulfills it, how Jesus points to the maximum purpose of this commandment. And then we'll close by seeing how this sixth commandment is one of the keys to the abundant life, how this commandment at the surface, it sounds like it's about death, but actually it's about giving life. It's about giving abundant life that Jesus promises for all of us. So what's that minimum? Simple, three words. Do not murder. In our modern, enlightened 21st century society, this commandment is one that is now universal across all cultures, all societies. Each one of the 195 countries in the world, they have a law against murder. 
It's obvious, right? And in our news today, perhaps you've been scrolling already this morning, we hear about first-degree murder, second-degree murder. But in a nutshell, murder means intentionally killing an innocent human. And so that's the focus of this sixth commandment, murder. It's not about animals, so this is not going to be an omnivore's dilemma. And it's not about self-defense or manslaughter either. That's an unintentional killing. There are actually other commandments in the Bible that address those scenarios. And it's also not going to be about violence or killing in warfare, which is actually a part of Israel's story as they struggle to get to the promised land and how to stay in the promised land. So it's not going to be about that. Because these are big issues, but they're too big to delve in all today. But I do want to be clear about all these scenarios. Violence of any sort is not part of God's desired plan. It's not part of God's design for humanity. That's not it. So, why should we as a community here learning to love and follow Jesus, why should we focus on this commandment now that it sounds so narrow? Why, do, why would we want to focus? Because it's not even a specifically Christian prohibition, right? As I mentioned, 195 countries, all the religions have this same law. It's not a Christian copyright. The Code of Hammurabi in 1750 BC also mentioned it. So that's already before Moses. Moses wasn't the first one to come up with this. In my recap, I said that the Ten Commandments are roughly grouped into love God and love neighbor. And it's an easy way to group them in our heads. But the Sixth Commandment is not just about loving neighbor. Do not murder is also about how we love God in at least two different ways. First, taking a human life is killing God in effigy. Killing God in effigy. What do I mean by that? Well, human beings are created in the image of God, and because of that, everyone has undeniable dignity, regardless of their gender, their age, physical capacity, mental capacity. They're all created in the image of God. And we explore this in the image of God in that second commandment. So when we kill a human, we assault the image of God, that image of God that is in each personal being. And so the sixth commandment is actually the inverse of that. Protecting an image of God actually shows our reverence for God. And we have the second way. The second way that murder and this do not murder commandment is related is because killing and murder, we take the role of God. As Christians, we believe that God is the author and sustainer of all life. God has numbered our days. God is the, has sovereignty over life and death. And if we try to control life and death, we are playing God. We are taking God's power into our own hands. And that's what Adam and Eve do, or at least they attempt to do in the Garden of Eden when they take the forbidden fruit. They're trying to be like God. That was original sin. So when humans take control of the circumstances of life and death, we're playing God. When we, tr we try to be like God, when we want to dictate the number of the days of any human life, and we play God when we try to calculate the worth of any human life. But between life and death, there, there is a difference here that I do want to just shortly touch on, is that there is a difference between terminating life and terminating treatments. 
because terminating treatment can actually be a humble way of giving back to God what is God's alone. That we can give back to God the authority and sovereignty over life and death that is reserved for God and God alone. And this is a heavy topic. Life and death is always going to be a heavy topic. And I, as a preacher, I can't possibly cover all the last, every last scenario. So I do want to say that if you do have these questions about life and death, our clergy here, Jenny and I, Tyler, we, we are all willing to have a sit down with you and talk more about what these questions could mean for you. Well, let's get back to this Ten Commandments. Because the next question that we've been asking in all of our weeks through the series is, hey, what about Jesus? You know, we're a church here, we talk about Jesus, so what about Jesus in this Ten Commandments? Jesus and his followers, they faithfully fulfilled and observed all the Jewish laws. And in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus took many of these commandments and he upped the ante. He supersized them. He uses this phrase that we'll hear in our false sermon series. Jesus uses this phrase that goes like this. You've heard that it was said, but I say unto you. You think you know something, but I'm going to tell you what it really is. And for murder, what Jesus says about murder is that it is on par with hate and anger. But in our first scripture reading that we have that Michael read for us, this is what the Apostle John is talking about. Hear this again. All who hate a brother or a sister are murderers. You hate, even if it's in your mind, you haven't done anything with your hands, you're a murderer. But that's just the minimum still. Jesus is only raising the minimum of this commandment. Because even if it's not just about murder, it's maybe also about hate and the feelings and of resentment that we have inside. Because these things of that we hold in our minds, our thoughts, in our, hearts and, in our hearts and minds are just as important as what we do. So Jesus has raised that minimum standard, but he also points to the maximum, a fuller purpose of this commandment. Because Jesus doesn't just want the minimum for us. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In this one verse, we already see the minimum, and we also see the maximum. Jesus came that they may have life. That's a minimum. You're alive and breathing. That should be the minimum. But the maximum is to have life abundantly. So if you've been a long-time Christian, maybe you've heard of faith described like fire insurance, or you've heard about it like life insurance. And there's this unhelpful imagery that this fire insurance is going to save you from hell and brimstone. That's not helpful at all. And if you're spiritually searching, perhaps you're thinking about Christian faith as a fireproof suit that's going to help you avoid and prevent suffering and death. But if we think about the communities that are in BC, in Spain, in Quebec, fire insurance and a fireproof suit is the bare minimum. Your home, your community is destroyed. You've barely made it out with the skin of your teeth. You're barely alive. That's the minimum. Because the Christian life is not about death avoidance. It's not about fire insurance. It's not something that just keeps you alive, but barely. Jesus gives life abundantly, a fullness of life, a quality of life that is filled with love. And that should be the maximum 
Because God cares more than just for the quantity of lives, more than just numbers on a census poll, more than just the number of days and years of your life. God cares about the quality of your life, too. And this fullness of life, this maximal life, it's not just reserved for us here, here at St. Paul's, even if you're watching online, it's not reserved for just this small group of people. It's for every human being because God loves the world. And God loves the world isn't just like what the Beatles sang, all you need is love, because if love is just a feeling or an affection, it's not, enlo- it's not enough. I have the shirt here, all we need is love. That's not enough because what about food, water, shelter? There's so much more to that that is the beginning of a quality of life. A Christian life filled with God's love will inevitably be pro-life. And I want to use pro-life in its fullest and broadest sense possible. Because being maximally pro-life should mean promoting the fullest life. Promoting the maximum quality of life for all people. Young and old. Women and men. All economic status. All ethnicities sexual orientation included, opportunities for education and employment, a pathway to purpose and meaning. In verse 18, we read that we know love by this, that Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Jesus shows us God's love for us in this pro-life action. He lays down his life for us. And Jesus is the innocent one, remember? He didn't harm, he didn't kill or hurt anyone, and yet he was the one who was murdered instead. And so as you and I, as we learn to follow Jesus in this maximally pro-life way, it will involve a sacrifice on our part. It'll probably be giving time, maybe giving of your money, and it will probably hurt a little bit. And there'll probably come a point in time when You've been doing it so much that you literally say, this is killing me. And that's the flip side of this commandment. It's about promoting life and maybe even giving your own life. So what does this all mean now, pulling this together? The theologian P.G. Riken says this, if you're the kind of person who breaks the sixth commandment, then there is hope for you in the cross of Christ. If you're prone to get angry, if you secretly resent someone, if there's murder in your heart, or if you've ever committed any other kind of murder in thought, word, or deed, then repent and believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Save a life, save your own life by trusting in Jesus. And that's the starting point. That's the minimum that we're going for here. Because here in a, as a community at St. Paul's, this commandment also means that God desires for more than saving you from death. That's not enough. God wants more than a quantity of life for you, but a life abundant. So I encourage you, if you're not yet part of a connect group, find one. Find where you can be part of fellowship and companionship with other Christians, where you can share this abundant life with one another. Join this abundant life in our growing community. But I have to admit, it's easy to be pro-life for yourself. It's easy to maximize your own quality of life, think about yourself. It's probably easy for us this morning to think, hey, I haven't killed or murdered anybody yet today. 
right? Checkbox completed, that's, that's just the minimum. Martin Luther also writes this, the reformer. This commandment, this sixth commandment is violated not only when a person actually does evil, but also when he or she fails to do good to their neighbor. And though he has the opportunity, fails to prevent, protect, and save him from suffering, bodily harm, or injury. So we heard it multiple times throughout our scripture reading, and we heard it towards the end of it as well, that this imperative, this commandment is also given by John. Let us love, not in word or speech, but in love and action. And so here at St. Paul's, we encourage this rhythm of life that includes service and generosity. And we have people in the room here that are part of our refugee ministry supporting people that are literally fleeing for their lives. They're fleeing from violence and conflict. And we have other outreach opportunities here at the church to be maximally pro-life. We have backpacks, a backpack drive that we're hoping that kids can have the fullness of their education. We have community meals and other smaller initiatives where we are meeting tangible needs. So as a community, we seek to put our love, the love that God has given us so abundantly, we put that love into action, to love maximally and to seek the abundant life for others. Jesus shows us the way to follow. Do not assault the image of God, but restore it. Do, don't hate, show love. Don't harm, but give care. Do not oppress, instead liberate. Do not take life, but give it abundantly. Do not murder. Amen.